You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So um, please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Today we start, um, or not start, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll look at the entire ninth commandment today. Uh, the ninth commandment is about lying. And I find it no coincidence that I actually get to teach on a commandment that I'm actually an expert on the subject matter. Um, but as we will find out here together today, uh, that could probably be said about every single one of you. Okay? So you're all liars. Welcome to church. <laughs> now, um, also, before I read and pray, uh, I just want to let you know that um, if you... I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, so we're going to be moving around um, quite a bit, so uh, the scriptures will be up on the screen, or you can grab your Bible. Pastor Dave will give you extra bonus points for that. So uh, Exodus 20:16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we love your word. God, we thank you that your word is truth. And that you said that you would establish your word and that you would exalt your word forever and ever. God, not one jot, not one tittle would be removed until the end of days. And so, God, I pray that you would do that today, that you would lift up your word, God, that you would have grace for us as we hear, as we listen. And we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and that you would, would teach us, that you would lead us and guide us into the truth, Lord. I pray for anybody that's, that's seeking truth here today, that they would find that truth in you, Jesus. And help us, Holy Spirit, to, to draw close to you, to abide in you, to trust you, to trust your promises, to see that you are true and faithful and just. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what would a society look like if it abandoned truth? What would characterize it? How would, you, how would you qualify it? How would you describe it socially or politically? What would it look like if the reigning philosophy were relevant? Well, what's good for you is good for me. It would be based on our own subjective experience. That's what it would look like. But does anyone expect everyone to tell the truth? And, and why is truth-telling important in the first place? Now, the context here that we find in the ninth commandment is clearly legal. It's bearing false witness. It's bearing false witness against a neighbor. It governs the, the legal testimony a witness gives in a public trial before a jury. And, and the fact that that word neighbor is there indicates that it's, that it's within the community covenant of Israel. Now, what I want to do uh, just for a minute is I want to take a look at that phrase, against your neighbor. In the context of the Ten Commandments, that phrase is absent with the other your neighbor commandments. So far, none of the previous commandments mention your neighbor until now. You shall not murder. It doesn't say your neighbor. You shall not commit adultery against your neighbor. It doesn't say that. You shall not steal from your neighbor. Not one of them mentions the person whom the sin would be committed against. So the ninth commandment is the first to introduce explicitly 
the concept of the neighbor. But even though that, that neighbor isn't mentioned in any of the previous commands, it, uh, but, um, with murder, stealing, it's obvious that those sins are committed against someone in community. That's what a neighbor is, someone that you have a, a, a common relationship with. Now, let me suggest to you the reason why the commandment specifies your neighbor. The commandment specifies your neighbor because false testimony and false accusation undermine community in profound ways. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, false testimony? What about the murderer? Okay, true. A, a dead community is no community at all. <laughs> but murderers, in, in, in Israel's uh, society of justice, murderers would have to go on trial. They'd have to go to court, and they were punished. Murderers were punished. So if you take away justice from the community, you've produced an even greater threat to your life as a people because you could never be sure that the murderer, you could never be sure that the adulterer or the thief, thieves would go, would, would be punished. And if, and, if, and if there was no justice there and they went unpunished, then what would happen? Well, all of these things would, would multiply. They would, they would it, things would run rampant in, in that society. And knowing our nature, knowing our, our, our broken, fallen, human nature, that's exactly what would happen without any restraints. Without justice, life is just up for grabs. Without justice, you're living at the whim of the murderer, the adulterer, and the thief. Nothing is safe and nothing is sure. Because without justice, a society deteriorates into just complete chaos and anarchy, complete disorder. You see, no society will endure, nor will any relationship endure that is not founded on truth. And there's a connection between truth, justice, and community. They make up this, this fabric, if you will. And so how I want to look at the, this commandment today is in two ways. First, the dangers of deceit, and second, false or excuse me, faithful witnesses, faithful witnesses. First dangers of deceit. Now, there's something that each of the 10 commandments forbids and something that it requires, each one of them. For the ninth commandment, it, it's this. If lying is forbidden, then what is required is telling the truth. So it forbids lying but it requires telling the truth. Now, Paul, in the book of Romans, uh, writes and speaks about what happens when truth is exchanged for a lie. Romans 129 through 31. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Three out of the 21 characteristics listed have to do with communication and, and, and what we speak to and what we say about others in community. And, you know, I think that because lying is so commonplace, because it's, it's just a white lie, it's, it's nothing really... I mean, it's, it's hard to tell the truth sometimes, and it's easier 
stories are a little bit more embellished. You know, they, they, they just go a little bit longer. And so when we lie, especially to ourselves, it becomes easier to lie to other people. So we don't think it's really that big of a deal. Now read verse 32. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. Slander, lying, and deceit is right there with the murderer and the adulterer and the thief. Death. You see, when we lie, slander, and deceive others, and when we do it in the context of our community, what happens is that this moral fabric starts ripping apart. It, it destroys the, the social cohesion that is naturally there. It's, it's, it's God created it, formed it, and then like the, what is it, the second law of thermodynamics or something, everything goes from, or it's entropy, I don't know what it is, I'm not a scientist, but it, it, everything goes from, from order to chaos. It's like, it's like your garage, or nobody has garages here. Like, it's like your room or your closet. I mean, it just, it deteriorates over a piece of time, over a period of time. It's a destroyer of relationship like nothing else. Now, uh, in the community of Israel, they took telling the truth very, very seriously. And the reason why is because witnesses could be both an accuser, but they could also be an executioner. Because by their testimony, someone could die. But it's not only just telling the truth that's important, they'd also have to speak up in a matter when an injustice was done to another member in that community. It's a, it was a very significant aspect of their legal system. It, 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 it obligated them to speak up when they saw something doing wrong. Leviticus 5.1 says that if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet he does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. So if he doesn't tell, or if she doesn't tell what, what, they, what they know, they will receive the punishment of the accused. That's serious. You see, the reason why life and community is threatened by injustice and slander and deceit among its people is because the fabric of all relationships is woven with truth. The fabric of all relationships is, wo is woven with truth. Now, Lance Armstrong, he's been in the news a lot lately over this last week, and it is, or the last few months, um, a lot of questions about um, his his, all of his uh, championships and whether he was doping. And, uh, and just this last week, the, the very cancer foundation that he founded dropped his name. They dropped his name because of his deceit or because really because of his lack, his failure to come and testify against the allegations. So they stripped him of all those things. His name, no more. I mean, of course, we'll never really know he knows and God knows, but we don't know. Do you see how what happens there to that, not only just the, the community within that foundation and, and all of the cancer survivors, somebody who you look up to, it breaks apart relationships. 
It breaks apart even the closest of friends. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And we see the same principle in, in other scriptures, that love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. You see, God's way is for people to dwell together with each other in community, but also in communion with God. And when we lie, we breach our connection to one another, to other people, and we violate our relationship with God. God wants us to be truthful. He wants us to be truthful, not, not only when in a, in, the, in a legal proceeding, but he wants us to be truthful with one another. It, it's, it's a way of cultivating our closeness, our unity, our common bond. Because after all, we're members, Paul writes about, members of the body of Christ. Because a body can only function properly if it tells the truth. So for example, if, if I go and reach my hand out to touch, to touch something that's hot, and my mind tells my hand, it's cold, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be severely burned. Or if my eye sees broken glass and I'm barefoot, it doesn't lie to my feet and say, step, no. Or if I eat something that's, that's um, spoiled or rotten, and my, my stomach doesn't deceive me and lie to me and be like, that's good. No, it doesn't do that. That's why telling the truth is important. Because as the physical body has members and works together in harmony and unity, so it is with the members of the body of Christ. So, sli- so, so lying, slander, and deception becomes a gross hindrance to the proper functioning of the body. So there has to be, there has to be justice. We, we can't just turn the other way, wink at sin as the Bible describes. Oh, it's all right, we'll just let that one slide. We can't do that. We can't do that. Because ultimately it would bring harm to yourself and it would be, bring harm to society. Because injustice is a sin against society. Society will stop functioning the way that God intended it to be. Perfect, with order, with justice, with truth, with unity, harmony. And not just in and of itself, but also among its inhabitants as well. So as with the other commandments, what we see here in the ninth commandment is that God's interest in justice for his people is closely related to the, to his, to the future for his people. Because there won't be a people if there's no justice. Because that fabric is torn apart, because of the chaos that ensues, because of the injustice that happens. And I think that's why God uh, tells Israel in Deuteronomy 16.20 that justice and only justice you shall follow. Justice and only justice you shall follow. That you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now we see the beginning of a story arc here with Israel. We see that that God liberated Israel from the Egyptians, from the oppression, from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt, and now he's delivering them into the promised land. Because remember, again, the, the whole Passover, he led them out of Egypt, 
He said, I'll take you to a land and, and, and give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And now, and now he's saying, here are these commandments. Here are these commands. And they will make your lives full of joy. And you will prosper if you obey them. Now, it's, if, if, I just love how God, even before he gives us the rules, before he gave Israel the rules, he established a relationship with them back there when, when he delivered them out of Egypt. He said, I'll, I'll lead you. I'll be your God. I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you in the desert. All these times, all the relationship came first. Then the rules. The rules, not to be some type of dictator, but to be a loving father. To be a loving father. So if you keep the commands, you're gonna prosper, there's gonna be joy, and if you disobey, what's gonna happen? If you pervert justice by bearing false witness against one another, prosperity and joy in an instant will turn into adversity and misery. Just like that. Because in places where there can be prosperity and joy, injustice is what transforms them into adversity and misery. And the same thing would be true in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It'll turn a land flowing with milk and honey into a land flowing with filth if injustice persists. Now, I think a lot of you guys have been um, have traveled the world, or maybe been to a third world country even. And you've seen, you've seen firsthand the effects of poverty, of absolute, just abject poverty. And, and it really moves and sways your heart. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to see. But the saddest part about that is that that poverty it wasn't, more than likely, it hasn't been brought about by, by natural disaster, by floods and, yeah, by some natural disaster. And it, and it hasn't been brought about by disease. It's been brought about by injustice because of the lack of love for your fellow brother and sister, fellow man or woman. So if Israel here is going to cohere as a nation then they have to be committed to justice. If we, as God's people, are going to live together and dwell together in peace and harmony, to be restorers, you know, Jesus coming back is gonna restore all things right, we have to adhere to justice. And so false testimony is wrong because injustice is wrong. And injustice is wrong because by unjust speech, Israel communicated to the surrounding nations that God is not just. And so God is not just when you, when you break this commandment. When I lie, I mean, there, there's nothing that, that communicates to God or to others justice about that. If I call myself a follower of Christ. Furthermore, false testimony is wrong because lying is wrong. And lying is wrong for the people of God because by their lies, they communicate to the surrounding nations that God is not true. So what is God calling his people to do? And what is he calling them to do? I mean, we, we know, again, that, that what he 
uh, wants us not to do or what he's not calling them to do. He's calling Israel to be a nation of truthful witnesses, a nation of truth tellers in all their dealings with one another, in court. So he's calling on Israel as a society, as a collective whole, to be faithful witnesses to him by his integrity, by God's integrity, by his word, by his promise, and his witness. So next, faithful witnesses. Israel's disobedience to the Ten Commandments was meant to function as a mirror to the rest of the world. To to be the people of God and to be taken into a land, to be put on display for all of the nations around to see that these are God's people, that he's just. So each commandment teaches something about the nature of God. And in this series, we've been unpacking that. Each commandment teaches us a little bit something more about it. First, discovering God. Who is God? And now, following God, looking at the Ten Commandments. What is he like? Now, since God expects justice in Israel's dealing with one another, logically, we learn that he is just. If he expects it from one another, then he's just. Now, to add to that, remember um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave uh, had went ahead, we went through uh, that Israel's claim is that Yahweh is God and uh, Yahweh alone is God. There are no other gods. There are no other Elohims. God is God and God alone. There is only one God. He's the one true and living God. So therefore, Israel's integrity is going to communicate that the one true God is just and true. And that the Lord embodies everything in the universe that is justice and that that is truth. So we are called to be a people of truth, being made in his image, to display not only just to one another for our own edification, to build up our own faith, but for the the non-believer, for the person who doesn't know the love of Christ. So we're called to be people of truth. Our being made in the image of God should reflect and mirror God to the rest of our community. Because our, our need to speak the truth is actually rooted in God's own character. Because God is truth. He doesn't encourage lying. He doesn't approve of it or condone it. There is no falsehood in God. God is truth. So we must deal with each other on the basis of truth to remain faithful witnesses to God and to man. So why is telling the truth important? Here it is. Like father, like son. Let me explain. Turn to John uh, chapter 8. And Jesus is speaking here. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees. They are asking and challenging Jesus on uh, where he came from and who is he because they wanted to really know. And here's what he says. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I didn't come on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And, but the reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. By contrast, Jesus declares himself to be the truth. So whose child are you? Like father, like son, like father, like daughter? Who, who are you mirroring? Who are you reflecting? And once again, I mean, we're, 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 it's, lying is so commonplace, we just, we kind of just are like, well, hey man, everybody does it. But lying is more dangerous than it seems because lying is more Satan-like than Christ-like. Because God is truth and he requires those who bear his image to conform to his image. How do we do that? Thank God it's not left up to us to do that. Because the only ones that can conform to his nature are those that have been changed by his nature. God doesn't just leave it up to us. He doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come to me. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. So what are you dwelling on? Are you dwelling on things that are, that are good and noble and true and worthy? He goes on um, later to say that we should put away lying. The new man the new woman tells the truth. And the motive for doing this is because we are members of one another. Therefore, lying has no place in our lives. Colossians uh, 3, 8 through 10. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, a few weeks ago, um, we went to a 49ers football game. And let me tell you, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of wrath. There was a lot of malice and slander. And it was all directed towards Alex Smith. And um, honestly, he wasn't having the best game, uh, really. I mean, his performance was was pretty subpar. It just wasn't Alex out there. And so we're sitting around not one, not two, but three people who are saying horrific things about this man. I mean, it, it, was, it was all directed at him. Talk about, yeah, it was just really, really bad. You can only imagine. And there were kids around. I mean, I felt, I was grieved. I thought to myself, wow. I mean, I'd be freaking out if I had 300 pound linemen running after me. 
you know, I don't know how accurately I could connect or, or throw a ball. So how could the truth be spoken in this scenario? When there's underperformance, where there's a lack on our part, or, or maybe your friend, or your neighbor, or your wife, or your coworker, or in class, or your friend, how can truth be spoken? How do we tell the truth? Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love. That's how. Speak the truth in love. Now, what does that look like in that scenario back at the 49ers game? And I asked that question. And then after the 9 a.m. gathering, a father came up to me, a dad, and he said this. He said, you know, my wife and I, when we have been teaching our sons um, to play sports and, and they fall short, miss the mark, miss the ball, this is how we speak love to them, or we speak the truth in love. Let's get the next one. Let's get the next one. Better, we're going to get it next time. No, I mean, what parent would tell their child, you idiot, you messed everything, you can't do anything right, or teaching them how to ride a bike. Like, you don't have any balance. Get off that bike. You don't know what you're doing. Not a good parent. And I know, I don't, I don't mean to be insensitive, I know that that has, some of us don't have good parents. So I don't mean to make light of that situation. So that's a loving father. That's a loving father speaking, speaking the truth in love. Hey, let's get it next time. We're gonna get them tomorrow. Let's live to fight another day. We'll do better next time. And that's to be the mark of those transformed by Jesus. And unfortunately, too few of us actually relate to one another in this way. Remember, every time that we obey one of these commandments, and, and again, we know that God blesses obedience, we can expect that, that uh, what's happening is that we're actually giving a true and accurate testimony to God. But when you break this commandment or any other ones, then you're giving a false testimony to God and of God. Now clearly we know that as we read through the Bible that Israel uh, went through uh, this cycle of, of they needed, um, they, they went through times of prosperity and then there was lying and slander and deceit. A lot of injustice. They didn't represent God very well. It's very much like, I, I mean, I feel so un qualified. I'm no poster child by any means of Christianity. So they weren't only false witnesses to one another, but they were false witnesses of God. And those things are connected because they're the community of God's people. It declared to a world that the true and just God was untrue and unjust, and so the Lord brought judgment. So what would happen in Israel's, the, the cycle is that they would be in trouble, God would send a deliverer, and then he would take them out and there'd be a time of peace and prosperity in the land, and then as, it's like almost like a generational thing, this, this vicious cycle. And they'd fall away again, 
they, they, there were some consequences. And so the applicable truth for us here is that, of course, even though that, that we, um, well, that there, there are uh, consequences for every, every action. Sometimes we just don't see them right away. So there are consequences for everything. And, and we're going to fall short and we're going to miss it. But thank God that just as God promised Israel a restorer, a redeemer, who is going to set all things right, he gives us that promise. That promise is made for us here today. Praise God that we have a redeemer and a restorer. A time would come when Israel would be characterized as faithful witnesses and the nation would collectively give testimony to the truth and justice of God. And what we learn from the New Testament is that the promise has been fulfilled in the coming Son of God, God's true and faithful Son, the true Israel, Jesus Christ. What Israel, the nation, could not accomplish because God gave them the law. And again, God's ways are not our ways. He's like, I'm gonna give you this law. (laughs) I know that you won't be able to keep it, but don't worry, I already thought about that. Because there's one who's coming, who's perfect in all of his ways, and he's gonna deliver you. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Now, in Revelation, uh, Jesus actually calls himself the faithful witness. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. What better witness than, than God himself? And, and again, here we have, if we swear, we have to swear to something greater than ourselves, an authority that's greater to ourselves. If any of you have been in court, you, you, you put your hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So you're swearing upon something that's greater than you, God. But how can God swear by himself? I mean, after all, a testimony isn't good if you're just testifying about yourself unless you're defending yourself. But Jesus said that even my testimony alone does mean nothing unless it, it's, it's, it, uh, unless it's, from glory, unless it brings glory to the Father. So why would I speak of myself? And, and here's the amazing thing. Because again, God is the great I am. He doesn't, there is no power, there is no authority higher than God. But yet, this is what he does. He gives us witnesses. John 5, and we're gonna jump around here a little bit in closing. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 36, and then that's picking up in in 37. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. By the way, this is Jesus speaking here. So John the Baptist testified about Jesus. Now verse 37. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me finish reading that. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing. So those are the miracles that testify about Jesus' faithful witness. They bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. 
So now we have the testimony of the Father. We have the testimony of, of, uh, of John. We have the testimony of miracles. And, and then furthermore, we have the testimony of the scriptures. In verse 39, Jesus again speaking to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. He was the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the, all the prophets for thousands of years had proclaimed. And then as soon as Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus starts demonstrating what was proclaimed for thousands of years. Furthermore, all the prophets and acts bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets give witness to that forgiveness that's in Jesus. And, and then remember when Jesus before, uh, after he, he, um, he rose again and he was like, you know, or before he was crucified, excuse me, and rose again, he said, you know, there's a place that I'm going and at that place I can't tell you and you can't come. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, don't. And he's like, no, 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 it's better that I leave. It's better that I leave and go to that place. And you can't find me. You, can't, you won't be able to come there. But it's better that I leave and I'm gonna leave you a helper, a comforter, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit to testify in our hearts. That's the only way by grace, that we can even come and believe that Jesus is Lord. Acts 15, 8 says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And finally, God allows us to serve as his witnesses. Again, why me? Me, to serve as a witness, I'm unfaithful. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm all of these things that I could go on and on and on. If you read my bio, you'll even be like, what, what is he doing up there? How and why? And I could, I could go on and on with a, a long, long list. But the truest thing about me is what God says about me. And so that's what I cling on to. That's what's good. That's what's noble. That's what's true. You see, the testimony about Jesus is testimony for us. These things were written, as John says at the end of uh, the book of John, so that you might believe in him, Jesus Christ. It's testimony given on our behalf. The great irony of this whole thing is that Jesus was put to death and condemned by false witnesses. The greatest injustice that humanity has ever seen was perpetrated against the only innocent in the history of humanity. But thank God, Jesus' blood testifies of grace and it covers us for the remission of sins. And so it transforms us, it makes us new, it makes us whole, And then it transforms us into people of truth. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you are truth, Lord, and that in your wisdom, God, you, you made us in your image, Lord, to be witnesses to others, to be witnesses to you. And so, God, we, um, we thank you. God, we, um, we just, I repent for, um, for my disbelief, for the, um, for the slander, Lord, for the misrepresentation of you, to the breakdown of my fellow brother, for being harsh, Lord, all these things. God, I thank you that you give us grace, that you prepare a table for us, that where you restore things back on the right path. And so, God, I pray that, um, that you would meet us here, like you always do, um, God, to restore us, to restore our dealings with one another, and to restore us into a right relationship with you. Amen.